0: Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias. And really quick, don't forget to download the brand new book, 10,000 Patients, Tested and Proven Methods to Bring in New Patients This Week. Guys, a whole year went behind this whole book of strategies. There's a ton of KOLs, um, thought leaders, uh, marketing agencies giving their best systems and strategies. It's just me and potatoes, this book. That's it. It's just me and potato. So if you want to know how to properly do Google AdWords and for the best results, what to utilize, the type of copy, the wording, pictures, all that stuff, that's in this book. If you want to know how to get into specific locations with ground marketing, that's in this book as well. The scripts are in there. There's videos as well. I mean, there's links, right, where you can uh, watch the videos. There's social media marketing. We even discuss insurance, a lot of insurance stuff. And we have people from a lot of places, like we have Vivek uh, from PPO Profits, uh, Travis Campbell. We have a lot of people on the insurance topic discussing uh, how to lower fees or how to get a different uh, fee schedule, how to never get denied, things like that. So guys, 10,000 patients, tested and proven methods to bring in new patients this week. This book is for free. So go in the show notes below. It's going to be the first link in the show notes below and uh, download it. Get it. Get it for yourself. And in this episode, we are speaking with Dania Montoya.
1: Team members don't really care a lot about production and collection numbers, which is, that's okay with me. They don't have a lot that they can do with those numbers. Um, They can schedule to a goal, but that money is not necessarily going into that team member's pocket. And sometimes it creates animosity on the team. If a consultant comes in and says, oh, we need to schedule to $20,000 a day. Well. That's a huge number. And that to me is kind of unrealistic to ask a team member to focus on a large number like that. So to me, I am more interested in creating goals or KPIs um, that are not related to large production numbers. I'm more interested in what can they do to help the practice out? Can we create goals that will keep patients from falling off the schedule? How about our treatment acceptance? Or how about our outstanding insurance claim? Can we keep a goal to get those outstanding insurance claims down to what the practice, you know, where they should be on a a KPI level?
0: He is a consultant. She's been in the industry for, I believe, 30 years, 30 plus years, possibly. And we start off talking about her past and present and how she got to where she is today, right? But at the same time, we start talking uh, the pushback with consultants and teams. I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, but like maybe you bring on a consultant and then a team member is kind of like, "Why? who's this person trying to change this? They're doing it wrong, right? And then there's like that, you know, kind of bumping heads with maybe the office manager and then the consultant and stuff. So she kind of discusses the reasoning behind that. What's the deal with that? And how she used to be like that too, as well as a team member and what, what helped her overcome that. So we discuss that. We also talk about how does she track results for her practices? We discuss the best KPIs to rely on and how we should keep track of that and how we should pivot Our practice when we need to. Another thing we talk about is something that we really don't discuss a lot about on this podcast, but it is a a huge thing that I want to change is the retention rate in your practice. So we talk a lot about attracting new patients, right? But what about retaining them, right? And their 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 lifetime value. What is it? So we discuss that. She lets us know some of the best strategies to retain patients that way you can continue to make your best customers happier customers and they refer people just like them. Then we also discuss what goal should each team member have, what numbers should they be looking at, what numbers can they ignore? We also discuss the no shows. How can you start confirming new patients? How far out can you confirm actual patients until you say, "You know what, they're not going to come," and then you put somebody else in the schedule? What's the script that you need to say, right? I mean, do you just call them and be super blunt with them and then say like, hey, are you going to show up or no?" Right. Uh, Sometimes I feel like we want to do that. Uh, So she lets us know the script, exactly what to say, how far out we should call the person to make sure we don't have a no show and so much more. Then we also discuss the most hidden opportunity that is being missed in most practices, not the most common. It's the most hidden one. Uh, stuff that slips through the cracks so she lets us know that she also talks to us about what's bad scheduling versus good scheduling and she gives us a real life example on um what tweaks she had to make with one of the practices she works with in order to turn that bad scheduling into good scheduling so that you know the practice looks like it's cohesive it's running it's a well oiled system and machine so we discussed that and so much more so without further delay here is dania montoya Daniel, how's it going? Hey, it's always good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. If you don't mind us asking, where are you located right now?
1: Right now, I'm in Shreveport, Louisiana. This is my home office.
0: That's not... How often do you travel? Like,
1: how much in a year? Well, before COVID, it was about 50 weeks a year. Um, But since COVID, you know, everybody, all of the consultants have had kind of a little shift, and we've all learned how to do things from home a little bit. Right now I'm traveling, you know, once or twice a month to my teams. And last week I was with Urban Dental in Houston, Texas. I know you're oh. from Texas.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Houston, Texas. I like I like it out there. Um, so then how has that and we're gonna get into it a little bit more, but I'm just curious to know like, do you feel like there's been a big uh, shift in the way you teach and stuff like that because of online or not really?
1: What I really have felt is that the teams appreciate Learning a little bit more online because you don't throw massive amounts of, of information at them all at one time. And you can chunk it out a little bit and then teach them how to implement smaller sections and then perfect it. And then we can come back and see how is the accountability and what kind of KPI is measured because of that. So I think really they appreciate it. Plus, when you're working with larger teams, it is very expensive for a doctor to shut down an entire practice at a time and do a, an entire day training. So having smaller training sessions with more uh, integrated work groups, like your hygiene teams or your business teams at one time, that makes it a little bit easier on the pocketbook for the doctors.
0: Okay, awesome, Daniel. So if you could tell us a little bit about your past, your present, how did you get to where you are today?
1: Ooh, that is a great question. Well, this year marks year 30 for me in <laughs> the next year. I know I am having a little hard time saying that. Three decades in dentistry, it doesn't even seem right. I started out in dentistry when I was 15 years old. I was just a little tea tiny baby. But I think that helps me relate to the teams a lot because when I walk into a team and I start telling them about my background, I tell them that, you know, I've held just about every position in a dental office myself. Mm -hmm. So they understand that I've walked in their shoes and that I'm not gonna make decisions for their team based upon something that I wouldn't do myself. So if I'm gonna ask them to run a little faster, it's because I ran a little faster myself. Or if I ask them to have a conversation with the patient or maybe they should slow down and be careful with the words that they choose with their patients, it's because I've found that those words mean a lot more with their patients too. So. I started out as the, the, uh, the girl who did all of the sterilization <laughs> with the, the teams uh, with the, in, the, in the dental office since I finished high school. I did four years of college working in a dental practice as a clinical assistant. And then I moved into CAD CAM dentistry. We were one of the first offices in Louisiana to have a CAD CAM uh, machine. And um, that was back in 1998. So that was a really, really long time ago. And that's when I learned about my passion for teaching. I mastered that machine really quickly and began teaching other doctors in the area how to utilize that and started helping um, the local Patterson branch sell those machines. And from that particular office, I moved on to another practice where um, I switched and became an E4D trainer and um, started you know, moving into more of the business side of dentistry with um, office management and insurance utilization, hygiene retention, and just seeing the business part of it. So I was able to mesh those business and clinical systems together. And then moving past, you know, when I retired from clinical dentistry, I moved into consulting and that's where the growth really started happening. I've been consulting for about 10 years. I like to see those teams who are really, really hungry start to see results, and I I think my mom should have named my middle name "Results" because it is so much fun to celebrate with the team and see um, what they want and see the results that they get and how they're able to um, implement some of the strategies that we put into place, and uh, that's that's really where I am now is working with the larger teams, the smaller offices are, are fun, but they weren't necessarily a challenge for me. I like to grow large things. So moving from, you know, going from a few practices to even more is great. Or moving from a couple of doctors to a larger organization is fantastic. Um, but I like to look for the opportunity and then I like to get the team on board and see how that opportunity can help more patients. And ultimately, it's my mission every day when I put my feet on the floor to help someone. So I fell asleep at night knowing if I did that and I did it well, that I can sleep well at night.
0: Yeah, that's good. I like that. So then let's rewind a little bit. You were you became a consultant 10 years ago then, right? Yes. 10 years ago. And then before that, you were kind of familiar with every single, or more than familiar, you were really, really well known in every single position, right?
1: Yes. I am not a hygienist and I'm not a dentist, but I have a lot of respect for both of those positions. And uh, I work really well with making sure the team understands how everybody's position works together on a team.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So then throughout this process, I know For example, like I'm just speaking out of my own experience right here. When I remember uh, one of the practices that I worked with, like I was in there, I was just the front office and then they hired a consultant. What pushback do you see with that? Like sometimes there's a team member who's like, I've been here 50 years, you know, like I know what I'm doing. And then you're like, but we haven't gone anywhere in 50 years, you know, so
1: we'll push back. You know, Michael, that was me. I worked in a practice where there was a consultant and I was like, I've been in dentistry for 16 years. Who does she think she is going to teach me something? Yeah, You know, and I tell people all the time that at the second day of our consultation or two day consultation, I was all up on the desk going, tell me more, tell me more, because she made it fun. She made it interesting for someone even like me who had been in dentistry for a long time. She taught me things that I hadn't known, but she had, a, she had to overcome my attitude and my pushback and all of those things. So I think that ultimately helped me as a consultant now overcome some of those, um, some of those teammates that I encounter. And you're right, they're out there. But I think being able to, number one, walk into an office and understand that this is their home. This is not my home that I'm walking into. I am a guest in their house and respecting that, first of all. Uh, That's one of the biggest keys. And then also understanding that not everything is broken in these offices. These offices are functioning. There are patients there. They're doing dentistry. It is not my job to walk in and say, you guys are horrible. It's my job to walk in and say, wow, look at what you've done. What do you think? You could do even better because I can point out a whole lot of things that have gone wrong. But what does that do to people? It puts them immediately on the defense. And that's not where you get people to make changes. You get people to make changes by understanding that, hey, there is an opportunity. And so that's how I like to deal with. First of all, I don't like to get pushed back because that's really hard to overcome. So. I like to walk in and say, Hey, I am your friend. I am here to help you. Let's dive into this together and see if there's anything that we can do to help our patients because ultimately I'm very patient centered. That's how I think all of us should be. And let's see if there's something that we can do to make our lives more efficient, if they're not, or more patient friendly. Um, So I hope that that becomes something that the, the team can respect with the success that I've had in the past. Looks like it's working pretty well.
0: So how can the doctor know the type of pushback that's happening? You know what I mean? Like for example, let's just say the doctor gets a recommendation from the you, right? The consultant. And then you're you're like telling the front office implement it, right? Or the hygienist, implement it or somebody implement it. But then they're saying like oh, it's not working. What she's saying is not working. The team member, right? How can the doctor know who's right and who's wrong in that scenario?
1: Oh, I think KPIs are always, the numbers always tell the story Mm -hmm. about who's right and who's wrong. So we have to go back and we have to look at those numbers to identify what's happening. And you have to understand what do you want those KPIs to look like? So if we have, let's just talk about broken appointments. Everybody has broken appointments, right? Let's say that we've got an office that has 100 broken appointments uh, on average each month. And the doctor is kind of freaking out. That's very expensive to have a lot of broken appointments uh, for a, a lot of reasons. That's very expensive. And we need to come together as a team and put some, some measures into place to stop that. What I like to do is sit down with the team and, and kind of brainstorm, what do we need to do here to fix this? What's causing it? You know, find out from the beginning. It could be uh, the fact that we're breaking things in the software the wrong way. It could be there was a, an office at one point where in order for the software to work correctly and for their lab case manager software to work correctly, they had to create an appointment and then break the appointment and then not reschedule that appointment for them to be able to attach their lab cases to it. So the the appointment was never really an appointment, Mm. but in our KPI management software, it showed that all of those appointments were being broken. (laughs) So I think that what you have to do, you know, as a consultant is you have to look at the data and find out what's true data. And you have to rely on your team and be open-minded about it, open-minded about it. And then you have to ask your team to be the exact same way with you. And we all know that there's going to be times where, you know, we're going to have to bend both ways and we're going to have to come up with a solution. Maybe that solution is, hey, um, you know, let's talk with our patients in the back and let them know that we have a lot of. Free time on our hands, and we've got to find a way to fill that. And one of those ways is to let the patient know how important their health is, and what we're going to do at the next appointment in six months. So perhaps that will start to build value for that next six month appointment, and then we can start to see if that does change and move those KPIs to where we see less broken appointments instead of you know continuing to see the same number. But what we have to remember, Michael, is that there's not just one fix to a problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like we have to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, E, F before we see an overall fix to a problem. So we can't just continue to, oh, here's the answer to, to this solution. It's an overall, lots of different things have, have to be happening in the right direction. So we can see the results that we want to see.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So then what are some of the best or what are like the most mandatory KPIs that we need to be relying on when it comes to trying to scale or grow the practice?
1: You know, I think that uh, a lot of doctors look at that. Oh, my new patient numbers. Oh, my new patient numbers. They have to be coming in the door. I always say I don't care about new patient numbers because you're typically always going to get a new patient. I want to make sure that those new patients aren't leaving out that back door and that we're retaining those numbers. So retention is a very, very big number for me. I want to make sure that over an 18-month span, that we are looking at our numbers to make certain that our numbers are continuously growing by the actual number of new patients you're gaining each month. That would tell you that your numbers of new patients are increasing and we are also retaining the, the numbers of patients that are currently in the practice. So to me, those numbers are important. Team members don't really care a lot about production and collection numbers, which is, that's okay with me. They don't have a lot that they can do with those numbers. Um, they can schedule to a goal, but that money is not necessarily going into that team member's pocket. and sometimes it creates animosity on the team if a consultant comes in and says, Oh, we need to schedule to twenty thousand dollars a day. Well, that's a huge number. And that, to me, is kind of unrealistic to ask a team member to focus on a large number like that. So to me, I am more interested in creating goals or KPIs um, that are not related to large production numbers. I'm more interested in what can they do to help the practice out? Can we create goals that will keep patients from falling off the schedule? How about our treatment acceptance? Or how about our outstanding insurance claim? Can we keep a goal to get those outstanding insurance claims down to what the practice, you know, where they should be on a, on a KPI level. You know, if you look at overall picture of your uh, revenue cycle management, mm-hmm. what is actually owed to the practice, the amount that you're producing each month should be about what is owed to the practice. And if you're not there, then we really have to find ways and strategies to put into place so our teeth can get you there. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, some of those things are things that matter to team members. Like how many, clo- how many flights can you close in a day or a week? What can we do to, to increase your ability to focus on those claims? And that matters to a team. How efficient can they be? Things like that.
0: So then who should be worried? Is the doctor, right? The practice owner should be worried about like the collection production type of thing. And hygienists, right?
1: Absolutely. When you're talking about DSOs and you're talking about multiple levels, uh, multiple uh, practices, we kind of have to have an executive team that looks at that. So we've got our doctor owners that are looking at those numbers. Plus, a lot of times our practice managers or even our regional managers are looking at those and those people are focusing on those higher level members. But our boots on the ground necessarily, we need to focus on our systems in the practice and making certain that each one of those systems is functioning to the highest of its ability at the right level of KPI, at the right, you know, return in our KPI. And if it's not, then we need to figure out or teach them at this point, what actions can they cause to make that KPI move in the direction that we need it to. That way, within another couple of months, our executive team will be able to see the trend and the movement that our boots on the ground was able to make.
0: Okay, I understand now. So this is like, this is specifically really for like the people, because if it's like a small practice, like just the one practice, would you say like almost everybody kind of has to keep an eye on production and collect, like meaning like a team of like four to like seven? Would it be like that or no?
1: Every practice is a little different. Some doctors don't really want their, their team members to know that information mm-hmm. um, just because it, it can skew how they talk to patients about treatment. You know, I, I still want my team members to not look at those patients like a dollar sign. I want them to look at those patients like you need this treatment because you're too cracked, not because I have a goal of getting <laughs> on the schedule today, I still want my my team members to remain wholesome and do dentistry for the right reasons. So it it just kind of depends. But then there are some some doctors who are very goal-oriented and they are great leaders and they can translate that information to their teams and they can keep that culture patient-centered. And if that's the case, then, then by all means, let's move those team members forward. And those are typically the doctors that move forward into owning multiple locations.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. So then, but at the same time, throughout this process, like you said, we also want to focus on the retention, right? Like retention rate. What are some of the best retention strategies that you utilize that you tell like practice owners to use? And then you see it like, poof, skyrocket.
1: I don't ever ask a patient, do they want to come back? Mm -hmm. You know, I always go ahead and say things like, let's go ahead and schedule your next appointment. And I am always, always going to make time in the schedule to work hygiene retention. It doesn't make sense to me for a team not to work hygiene retention because they are too busy. Because you know what? If you don't work hygiene retention, And contact those patients that are outside of hygiene retention, that are late for their appointments. You're going to find yourself without a lot of things to do. You're going to have a lot of holes in your schedule. So I'm a, you know, a couple of other strategies. I'm a big fan of if you have automated text messaging. I'm a big fan of asking your patients to confirm their appointment two weeks ahead of time. If they haven't confirmed that appointment two weeks ahead of time then perhaps they're not going to show. And we have two weeks now that we can schedule, you know, we can call and ask them if they're going to be here. If they're not, then now I have two weeks that I can fill that schedule. Mm -hmm. Another thing is, um, if you're having problems with keeping your schedule full in hygiene, I also like to, when you're, you know, you've seen your hygiene patient and you're going to schedule them out six months, I like to schedule them out not, six months and a couple of days like most hygienists do, I like to schedule about six months and a couple of weeks or, you know, longer than that. That way, in case something happens and you have a lot of cancellations in your schedule, we are not concerned about pulling those patients forward and they are not eligible for those cleaning appointments. That's, that's another great strategy to keep your schedule full. Also, you know, patients, uh, even though I'm not a huge insurance fan, patients still are very dictated by insurance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if the insurance is not eligible, if patients are not eligible to come in because um, they don't have coverage, their coverage has been dropped, they aren't certain what their coverage is. They're just probably not going to show up. So, if we can't verify their insurance ahead of time, even though it's not really our job, if we can't verify their insurance ahead of time, then we have got to contact those patients and find out if they're going to be here because it, it's most likely that they're going to fall off the schedule and we're going to be paying a hygienist to stand around and do nothing. And there's nothing worse than having. Your overhead skyrocket because you have a very highly paid uh, hygienist standing around doing nothing. Let's focus on those things and what strategize ways that we can close those gaps.
0: Yeah. I want to kind of like uh, dive a little bit deeper on the two week ahead of time uh, call to confirm. What terminology can we use or what's like the script for that to be like, hey, we need to know now or your appointments <laughs> bye-bye, right? Like, I didn't know.
1: <laughs> well. I, I like to, you know, on your text messaging, it's, it's always great to say, we're preparing for your appointment. We've reserved your hour, time. Our hygienist has prepared for your appointment. Can you confirm that you will be here? Just something very simple, letting them know that, hey, we've already taken the time to confirm. We've already planned for your appointment. Are you going to be here? That's it. And, you know, it's very simple. If they're not, then they'll just cancel that appointment. Most of the, you know, between Modento and Lighthouse and Solution Reach and all of those other um, text messaging softwares, all they have to do is press cancel and that appointment goes away. And then you see all of these empty holes. Well, I don't want to see empty holes on my schedule two days in advance. I want to see two weeks in advance. And then we need to have someone who could follow up with all of those patients who did cancel. So at the end of the month, all of those patients who dropped off of the schedule, it would be great if the office could appoint someone who does, who works hygiene retention, someone who could reach out personally to those patients and say, look, hey, I see that you canceled your appointment. Does that mean that you moved? Does that mean that you're not going to be coming here anymore? Do we need to inactivate you as a a patient? Because we want to keep our, our active patient status type very, very tight. We don't need to have a lot of fake patients. I'm going to call them fake patients in your practice. We don't need to have a lot of fake patients in your practice because then we're just elevating that level of active patient number in your practice without knowing are those real patients that are going to be coming to your practice. Consultants like me make a lot of decisions based on those numbers. If we've got an extra room, do we build that room out? Do we hire an associate because we're getting to that point of, you know, between 1,800 and 2,000 patients is about how much one single doctor and two hygienists can handle as mm-hmm. far as active patients. Well, if I see we're getting to 2,200 active patients, I'm going to be looking for an associate to come back in to come into the office. So if if we're not inactivating some of those patients, then we really need to uh, to know if. If these are fake patients, are they coming back in or not? So, um, hygiene retention is super important. If you guys are not working hygiene retention, and you need to know some strategies, then let's talk. Let's figure this out together so we can come up with some plans.
0: And I think that's and that makes so much sense what you said because like some people feel like they might they're afraid of hire to hire an associate on too soon, right? And the numbers look like it's there, but when you're in the practice, you're like. It's not happening. Something's not right, you know? Uh huh.
1: Yeah. Have you seen that before? Like you're yeah. looking for it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah we, we've definitely <laughs> seen that before. But it, at the same time, so then, like, let me ask you, where do we start with this process? Like, let's just say right now somebody's listening to you, then they're like, oh my God, we got to start figuring out who our fake patients are. Do we just start with today, day one, and be like, okay, let's start confirming from two weeks out? And then, you know, people are dropping off, and you're like, oh my gosh, my schedule's falling apart. You know, that's,
1: you have to start somewhere. So take a look at whatever software it is that you're utilizing and go back into your settings and see what kind of settings you have and then do a two week out setting and then your, your two day or one day, whichever it is. And then your, you know, the morning of is what I prefer. That way, if they're going to cancel that day, they're, they're going to cancel in the morning. But yeah, start there. And get those patients off the book two weeks in advance. You should never, ever, ever tell a patient that it's going to be longer than two weeks before I can see you for a hygiene appointment, right? Who wants to be told it's going to be longer than that? Mm-hmm. And I promise you, Michael, there, there should not be a dental office in the United States that is going to take longer than two weeks to get in to have your teeth cleaned. That's just... That's just silly. Oh, we don't have a hygiene appointment for four months. Why not? What are you not paying attention to in your practice? Does your doctor know that? Because don't you think he would be disappointed in you if your schedule was that full that you didn't have a hygiene appointment for four months? That's silly. Like you can, like that's silly. Mm -hmm. So yes, start there. Just start today. Today is the beginning of the month. Let's start confirming people for two weeks and change the setting. If they're not confirmed, then let's just see. Let's touch base with them. We are prepared for your appointments. How are you? Can we count on you to be here? If not, then let's start moving people into those spots. We'll be here. Can you imagine? Just do the math in your head, okay? A hygiene appointment, let's just round it up and say, okay, let's just go cheap. And say we're PPO and it's $100 for a hygiene appointment. And let's say we save one hygiene appointment per day and we have two hygienists. That's $200 per day. We work four days a week. Is that $800 Mm -hmm. that we just saved that one week? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So over the lifespan of this, Can you imagine exponentially what we can save because we just changed our confirmation process? Yeah. Then we could talk about dropping a few insurance companies and actually going to fee for service. Then we could talk about how we could triple that number of 100 and get what we actually deserve to be paid for this.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, that's going to be, that'll be really, really good. So then, okay, this is, I like this. So then let me ask you a question, kind of like transitioning. I guess, viewpoints here or topics. I feel like you do a lot of things, Daniel, right? Like, great. What would you say is your main area of expertise?
1: Looking for opportunity, finding the opportunity in a practice, and then deploying a plan with the team and execution. So you don't get to have 30 years of experience and not realize how to grow a team, Mm -hmm. grow a business how to run it efficiently, and how to make money. I think that's probably my area of expertise. Now, that's a 30,000 foot view. If you want to dive down to where, okay, now we have jumped out of the plane and we've pulled the parachute, we're sailing around, working on our opportunity. Uh, probably one of my favorite things is drop PPOs because I hate insurance companies. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty well known for how to get off of an insurance company and how to do it successfully without killing your practice, uh, without driving away all of your patients and, you know, turning that into a a huge opportunity for your practice. And probably one of my biggest passions is treatment acceptance with your patients. You know, a, a no pressure treatment acceptance with your patients. Being a clinical assistant for so many years I had an opportunity to work side by side with my doctor and my patients Mm -hmm. and seeing, you know, all of those patients accept treatment because of how I would structure my conversations or because of how I would present treatment to those patients in an honest way, um, with no pressure, no sales tactics, being able to teach my teams that has been a very, very successful. So, you know, going back, looking for opportunity and then finding, I don't look for low-hanging fruit. The doctors that I work with, they've already figured that out. Yeah. That doesn't exist. Those words don't make ever come out of my mouth. The doctors that come work with me, they, they've already done all the easy work and they leave the hard work for me. And what I do is I put a plan together. these for the doctors and then we deploy these these plans amongst all of their offices and then we start to scale so we like to make kind of a flagship office and get our executive team together Mm -hmm. and once we have our management and our executive team together we begin building and delegating all of our systems in a way that works amongst the other systems in the practice and then we can move them forward to either other locations that they've already purchased or we move into purchasing or building up additional locations.
0: Gotcha. Okay. What would you say is the most hidden, not so much the most common, but like the most hidden opportunity that is being missed?
1: Ooh, hidden opportunity that's being missed.
0: Like almost where you, when you do your evaluation for a practice, you see it and you get excited because you're like, I know once you see this, you're going to be like, why didn't I see it? You know?
1: Oh gosh. Where does the list start? I mean, every practice has so many different ones sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did a, a a due diligence for practice a couple of weeks ago and the selling doctor was asking for $1.2 million for yeah. his his practice. And he was asking for too much, but it didn't matter to me that he was asking too much because I easily came up with how we could turn that into a $3 million practice within one year. And that was, that was an easy opportunity. Some of the things that I get excited about are seeing how we can build out and how we can change the scheduling around. I think some of those things are, are easier to look at from a strategic point of view, where some of the doctors, they just can't see it. So, to me, that's where I get excited. I'm like, you know, if we could just tweak this right here, your day is going to go smoother and we're going to have more opportunity um, to spend time with your patients, which is what every single patient wants, is to have their doctors for a little bit more time but then we're also going to be able to provide better dentistry for the patients. And that's really what I want to do.
0: So then like when it comes to that example, right there, the bad, what is bad scheduling versus good scheduling or what, what did you specifically tweak in that scenario?
1: Um, Have you ever seen roller skates in an office? No. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of offices that they're working assisted hygiene and The model of assisted hygiene that they're working has not been explained to them appropriately where um, they feel like it is just bounce, 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 back and forth, back and forth all day long. And the patient feels like a number. And that's not necessarily helping with their overall health or, you know, it's, it's, it's not making them feel like they are um getting the receiving the care that they need. And I was actually with the practice a few months ago where they were doing this particular type of assisted hygiene. And I hope Rachel Wall gets to hear this because I haven't spoken to her about this yet. But this particular practice was interested in um, learning how to code SRPs a, a certain way with the their health insurance because they were already coding it with their dental insurance, but they needed additional SRPs within a year, okay? Within a year because the patient didn't have enough time with the hygienist for correct treatment. but then, you know, they didn't also, they didn't hear home care instructions. They didn't hear about their 4910, you know, their periodontal maintenance instructions and coming back and things like this. And because insurance will only pay for the periodontal therapy, those scaling and replaning once every two years, this practice was looking for maybe a loophole or so to get the medical insurance to pay for it. So, you know, I was like, oh goodness gracious, (laughs) we have to fix some of these things. So, you know, maybe that was a production booster for that, but it didn't feel right for me. And I just I had to bring things like that to the attention of the doctor that maybe sometimes if we could slow down a little bit and not do assisted hygiene so quickly that we could do actually a better service for our patient, which is in turn, if you think about it, it's going to increase our treatment acceptance with the patient, because if they're seeing results and if they're seeing that they're healthier from that uh, scaling and root planing, then they're probably gonna move forward with all of the treatment recommendations from the doctor.
0: That's so true, yeah. I, I think a lot of the times we need to slow down to create more intentionally uh, yeah. when it comes to a lot of these things. That's good, that's good to know. Okay, so then what? what can a dentist or practice owner do today to improve their business. So if we were to, if I were to ask you that and be like, just give me something I can do this week that I know by the end of this month, well, pretty much, yeah, because of March, um, we'll get, we'll see a needle move. We'll we'll get something done.
1: All right, I'm going to give you two answers. And while you were asking me this, I was thinking to myself, oh, he's not going to like the first these doctors, they don't like to hear me say this first one. And I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to my great friend, Dr. Mark Hyman, because this is one of Dr. Mark Hyman's favorite things to say, but listen, these doctors need to listen. And so they would just ask the right questions and listen to their patients. Their patients will tell them exactly what they want. So that's going to be my first word of advice. But I got to tell you, these doctors, unless they have a coach screaming down their neck like me, they, they have a hard time listening. So I'll put that little gem out there. But if you guys could just listen to your patients and sit down and ask more questions of your patients. Tell me, what do you want? How can I help you? Is this what you would like for me to do for you? Those questions are invaluable. They are giving you the answers. And all you have to do is do what they say. And it's just (laughs) priceless. But that's not going to suffice for everybody. So my second piece of advice would be to take three or four KPIs that you are not learning about, that you are not monitoring, and dive deep into those with your team and watch them. And it takes three months for you to be able to see a trend with your KPI movements. So watch those trends for at least three months and see if there is any sort of a trend that you can notice with those KPIs and then start introducing them to your team and see if you can get that KPI to move because of a different behavior you asked your team to do. So whether that is reducing broken appointments or increasing um, I hate to say increasing treatment acceptance because you cannot, there's just not a software out there that's that's been developed well enough to monitor treatment acceptance. It's more of a, mm-hmm. a hand type of a, you know, checkmark type of thing. Yeah. Um, but if, if you can ask your team, you know, to schedule every hygiene patient back for their six-month evaluation and see that KPI move over the next three months, that is going to make a big difference in the retention of your practice and ultimately in the profitability of your practice. So those would be um, some of the magical gins.
0: Yeah, I like that. So the 3-4, it could be like, okay, I want to make sure, I want to keep an eye on the no-shows, show, no right? Then the retention rate. Then let's just say, um, I don't know, hygiene production, things like that, right? It could be yeah. the KPIs. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then dive deep. And every single like quarter, would you say we pick a new three, new three or no?
1: I have about 25 that I go over with my doctors every month. I don't change them. I have the same ones every month. But as you're growing, you know, as you're learning about these KPIs, if you want to pick a new one, pick a new one each month and add it to it. But, you know, if you're not using some sort of a dashboard, to monitor your KPIs, I would definitely recommend it. Nobody wants to sit here and pull old Tommy reports anymore. Yeah. There's lots of dashboards that we can use to monitor all of your, your KPIs and the movement and you just log into them and see where they are and it makes life so much easier. So that's what I would recommend.
0: Yeah. I <laughs> what I would recommend. Man, 25 KPIs to like review every month is...
1: That's, that's not great. That's just what I go over with the doctor. Where's
0: really? Wow! <laughs> so it's like a lot, a lot of st- uh, stats. Stats.
1: I'm, an, I'm. Let's just. I'll admit it. I'm a dental dork. I probably watch about hundred KPIs on each practice. Yeah, you've got to know what every single doctor is doing. You've got to know what every practice is doing. You've got to know. You have to know everything from insurance to Patient payments to you know, scheduling to, I mean, we don't have enough time, Michael. <laughs> I don't have enough time.
0: Uh, but that's really good. That's really good to know. Like, because sometimes it's like, oh, we're doing too, we're, we're keeping too much data. And nope. then sometimes Never. it's, yeah, sometimes it's like uh, opposite, right? We're not keeping enough data. So like we need to continue to add to, to move it.
1: 25 is about, it's is about right. If anybody wants to know what, you know, what I'm looking at. I'm always available to do a complimentary analysis with them and sit down and chat, chat with them. And I'll talk with anybody and, uh, and we, can, yeah. we can see what's happening in their practice and, and go from there.
0: Nice. Okay, awesome. So now these next questions are just to get into the head of someone who isn't totally involved in the clinical side of dentistry. Okay. Uh, what would you like to see more from a practice owners From all the practices you've worked with, Actually more from a dentist, right? So from everybody you work with, what would you like to see more?
1: Clarity to their team. I want to see them communicate more. I want to see them actually dive in a little bit deeper and get into their brain a little bit more so they can provide that clarity for everyone else around them. Because if they don't, then we're making it up. You're making it up, right? I mean, how many times have you felt like that? Like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing for this guy. And then sometimes I don't either. So I don't have to stop and ask, am I on the right page? Is this what you want? I don't want to do that. I want to be one-on-one. You know, I want to be in the mind. And things work faster if we know exactly what they want and they provide us with a lot of clarity. Sit down. Get up in your feelings every now and then. Turn off the radio on the way home. Quit texting back. Put your bones down. Think about your practice and how many lives you affect. If you had just a little bit more clarity with everyone else, what would that mean for your practice?
0: Yeah, just a little. Clarity is different than transparency, right? Like, not so oh, much like,
1: yes. right?
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's more yes. like being crystal clear on, like, what you want instead yeah. of like just letting everything out.
1: Yes, I don't need for them to let the cat out of the bag. Okay. Transparency is sometimes that's too much information, but clarity is you know I want my team to be excellent at this. I want my patients to be treated like this. This these are all of my desires for my practice. This is this is how I want my business to be run. This is how I want my patients to be treated. This is, you know, that's what, that's what the team, like, it's almost like expectations. Clarity and expectations are kind of the same thing. People talk about transparency, like they're trying to let you in on their little secrets. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know your secrets. I want to know what do you expect of me and your team? Because I'm not going to do anything with your secrets, but you're expecting me as your consultant to perform. And one of those performances requires me making money for you. Being transparent with me doesn't help me make money for you. But if you expect me to provide coaching one-on-one to this particular work group and this particular work group at the same time, and they are not congruent, Mm -hmm. or you expect me not to fire somebody, when they don't even show up for work for two weeks, we have problems. Like that is not going to be this, you know, I'm just being very obnoxious here. Yeah. A doctor is not going to do that if they abandon their job. But, you know, I I want to make sure that I have clarity for expectations from a doctor. That is what I need.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And so then Next question is, what right now do you hate about dentistry or, or just really dislike?
1: That is such a tricky question. I could turn it around and ask you and just completely avoid the question.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, when people avoid questions, that's what I don't like about dentistry. <laughs> <that. laughs>
1: um, I really like, I really hate the fact that we had to go through COVID. Mm-hmm. And it puts such a strain on all of these doctors because I saw so many doctors go through mental anguish mm-hmm. and that, that didn't make me happy. Dentistry is a very stressful situation anyway. I don't know why we make it so stressful because I feel like it should just be fun, but it's not. It's not always fun. It mm-hmm. is a stressful situation. but. I think the COVID situation and shutting our practices down for, you know, at least six weeks and then coming back and only doing IG and dealing with the PPP situation and letting our teams go and then not having enough team members on, you know, on board and the constant rehiring of people and the revolving doors and just COVID. I hate the fact that dentistry has had to deal with COVID and a lot of the fact that We didn't get the respect from the medical field or from the government that I felt like we should have when we were dealing with COVID. It kind of really made me angry. And I don't ever want us to go through that again. So I'm going to ask all of your listeners and anyone else who is of importance out there that if we ever get into that situation again, we all have to come together and rally that dentistry is essential and nobody should be able to tell us that it's not. We're talking about, you know, the map. We're talking about the beginning of the body here. And if you can't say that that's not essential, then you just don't have enough education. And uh, I'll be the first one standing up for all of our doctors saying, we're not shutting down again. So what do I hate?
0: COVID. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a good Good answer. Yeah, that was a really, really good one. I like that. No, but you're absolutely right, man. That I know a, a lot of people who had to let go of their startups, their practices in that time. Right as soon as they started, it, Daniel. Like it wasn't even like, oh, I've been practicing for 80. No, it's like I just graduated, got my own practice. Oh my gosh, I don't, I can't. PPP doesn't make sense because I just opened up a month ago and now I have my own business. I doesn't give me any money. Got to let everybody go.
1: You, you just made my stomach turn again, and I have chills all over again. It's just. I just, let's talk about it happy. I can't do it anymore.
0: Okay. So what do you love about dentistry right now?
1: Helping people. I love helping team members. I love helping patients. I'll walk into any dental office across the country and I'll answer the phone. I don't even apologize for it. If the phone's ringing, I will answer it. If there's something I can do to help a patient, I will do it. I love helping people. It's my passion. I told you earlier, it's why I put my feet on the floor. I help somebody today in dentistry. If I educate them, I feel good. And it's all I know, Michael. It's all I know. I have 30 years in this. And mm-hmm. I just, I light up. I talk about dentistry everywhere. I want to make sure that everybody who works in dentistry is successful. And, and that means team members, doctors, associates practices, organizations, you know, associations. I want everyone to be successful and I don't need any credit for that. That's not what this is all about. I just want to make sure that patients get the best part of us and that I can go out there and educate as many people as possible.
0: Awesome, Daniel. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you?
1: Yes, you can. You can go to my website. It is dso-success.com. You can go to that website. I'm also on Facebook at the same, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, My email is danyoung at dso-success.com. Any one of those channels, I'm there. And uh, I know if you contact Michael, you can always reach out to him and he'll get you in touch with me too. So, Michael, I want to really thank you for reaching out to me to be a guest on your podcast. This was a blast. You're so much fun to talk with, and I appreciate your time.
0: No, thank you. I appreciate it. And guys, that's all going to be in the show notes below. So if you want to reach out to Dania and pick her brain more, schedule one of the consultations, please feel free to do so. And Dania, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. And we'll hear from yeah. you soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Dania, thank you so much for being a part of it. Thank you for letting us be nosier in your life. And we definitely want to have you back on again and, and discuss a little bit more on how we can go from one practice to two, because I know that's like you really, really specialize in like the DSO sections of, of this industry. So it's going to be exciting to discuss that uh, sometime later on in the future. But guys, if you can remember download that book, 10,000 patients, testing and proven methods to bring in new patients this week, it's hundred percent for free. And second thing, if you can, just share this episode or one of your favorite episodes with one other person that you know. Just share it, right? And that would mean the world to me. You can either send them a link, send them a screenshot, be like, hey, you should listen to this. Post it about it on a Facebook group or on your Instagram. And tag me in it if you want, if it's going to be on social media. But I would really, really much appreciate it if you do that. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. And I'll talk to you in the next episode.